0: Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment, and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee, and welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast. Thank you for coming back to listen to part two of Investing 101. I love talking about this topic, so I knew my love for talking about it would probably make it span two episodes. Um, So if you're coming back to listen to part two, thank you. That means maybe you love it as much as I do. Um, Or maybe you know you're just trying to learn it, but either way, I appreciate you coming back for part two. Um, Before I get started, just again, please do keep in mind this is for informational purposes only and not to be interpreted as interpreted as investment advice. Um, So again, if I'm using examples and you know throwing out companies or anything like that as far as the examples I'm using, it's not for. the sake of me giving you you know a stock recommendation it's just a matter of probably that's the first one that came to my my mind when I'm chatting about this stuff all right so last episode the part one of investing 101 we were talking about the different types of investments and I like to break it up into those three buckets and those were you know cash and equivalents fixed income and then you had your stock market or sorry stocks or equities um so kind of, I guess, you know, looking closer again at, at stocks and equities, again, they're more interesting, right? The other stuff, like I said, it's boring. <laughs> so, um, and, and I think the stocks are a little bit more intricate too. So diving in a little bit deeper again to that, let's talk about, so if we are investing in stocks or equities, well, how is that done? Um, and that would be through the stock market. Okay, so the stock market consists of stock exchanges where securities or shares of publicly held companies are bought and sold. So it's where stocks are actually traded. And it is an auction market. Um, So it's based on supply and demand. And it is based on, you know, the price that the seller is willing to sell and the what the buyer is willing to buy it at. And a a transaction or trade will only occur when those two match. So um, it is, yes, auction market based and nothing will happen or occur until, you know, what someone's willing to buy it for and what someone's willing to sell it for meets. Um, So when it comes to investing in stocks, um, most often you're going to want to you know be looking at or following a stock quote so if there's a stock you're looking at particularly maybe you're researching um, maybe it's one you already own in your portfolio and you just want to be able to follow along and track it and see how it's doing all these you know reasons are why you'd probably want to be looking at the stock quote so when it comes to looking at a stock quote what are you know there's going to be a few um, sort of stats and things that are on that stock quote so you know, it all starts with knowing the stock symbol. So you look up a stock quote by the stock symbol. Um, If you don't know the stock symbol for a company, you can just simply Google it. So just put in the name of the company and, you know, Google what is the stock symbol and it will tell you there. And it's usually, you know, it's one, two, maybe three, four letters. um, And it's usually kind of intuitive or based on the name of the company itself. Um, I guess if it's already used by another company, then maybe it'll be a little bit further off, but oftentimes it's kind of easy to figure out based on the name of the company. But again, you don't have to do the guesswork. You can just Google it if you don't know the stock symbol. Um, But that's where it all starts sort of when you're looking up a stock quote. And what you're going to see on a stock quote is the bid, which is the highest price a buyer is willing to pay for a share. And ask is the lowest price that someone at that point is willing to accept. Um, So the bid and the ask is what you're going to see. And again, as soon as those meet a transaction or a trade occurs. Um, some of the other things you might see um, is market cap so market capitalization and that's just a it's based on sort of how I would how you, I guess in a financial perspective or the market is valuing the the company itself. So there's lots of ways to value a, a company um, finance, has you know if you're doing sort of the the finance work um there there's lots of different methods they use and even accounting methods as well to value a company and market cap is just one of them and it's based on using the share price so it's market cap is share price times number of shares outstanding and it's essentially a quick evaluation of a company based on the stock market valuation so you know that's again there's many ways to value and that's just one of the ways so you know is that for sure the correct way or correct price you know to be decided because there is many ways to do so so keep that in mind Um, and again you don't have to do that calculation yourself it would be done for you and you could find it on the stock quote again just gives you some perspective on the size of the company Um, you'll also see things like previous close, which would be the price that the stock closed at yesterday. So if you're seeing like a price, like change, um, in price that is going to be based on where the stock is currently trading. First versus where it was trading yesterday, um, you'll see things like 52 week high and low. So that's sort of, it's a rolling um, 52 weeks and it's just gonna show you you know, what is the highest that this stock has traded at within the last 52 weeks and what is the lowest it's traded at. Again, it's probably just, you know, it's to give you some perspective on based on where it's currently trading, you know, is it trading closer to the high or the low? Um, You'll also see some of the ratios, so common ratios when it comes to valuing stocks. Um, One of them, a big one being P to E ratio, so that's price to earnings, and it's calculated based on the stock price divided by earnings per share. Again, it's not a calculation you have to do yourself because, um, nicely enough, it's right there on the stock quote for you. Um, PDE, I mean, maybe we can go into the details on what this means on another episode, but essentially it. It's how oftentimes people value a stock, but you know the best way to use it, P to E, is gonna be looking at the past P to E for the company, so where it has historically traded at, its price to earnings, or other ones, in that same sector to compare with each other so for instance if you're looking at buying a canadian bank and you're looking at comparing a couple you know you might see royal bank has a pde of 14 times and bank in nova scotia has a pde of 12 times so if your only decision is well i want a canadian bank well you can further kind of dig deeper and say well this one the PD is higher which essentially means it's trading at a higher multiple it's a little bit more expensive versus if the PD is lower it's a little bit less expensive and then um when it comes to PDE for some of the the big growth stocks the PDE is going to be a lot higher so like the Amazons and the Teslas of the world are going to have PDEs quite a bit higher um versus value stocks, which would have PDEs lower. So that's why, you know, it's hard to compare them to each other or of, you know, different companies. And if I was comparing like a Canadian financial to, you know, a Tesla, the PDEs are going to be way different. So you can't really make your decision on on just that. Again, it's, it's more beneficial to be using that um, ratio to look at where it has traded historically the stock itself or ones that are similar to it where they trade to get a good comparison Um, you're also going to see the dividend yield again it's only if a company pays a dividend as we talked about in the first part um, that not all companies do pay dividends so if they do pay a dividend you'll see the dividend amount and the dividend yield which is just the dividend dollar amount divided by the current stock price So that's a little bit about reading stock quotes. Um, When it comes to investing in stocks, again, traded on the stock market well the stock exchanges um, they are open Monday to Friday um, and so do keep this in mind obviously if you're looking to buy or sell stocks they're open Monday to Friday and the stock and the time sorry is 930 a.m. to 4 p.m that's eastern time um, for myself here in the mountain time zone it is 730 a.m. to 2 p.m and Pacific time that is 6 30 a.m to 1 p.m. So you got to wake up a lot earlier to be doing your stock trading when you're in the east or sorry, the um, west. Yes, west. Um, So when it comes to investing in stocks as well, if you're going to be doing your own trading, um, a few things to keep in mind, you can put in what's called a market order. And that would be um, it would mean that your stock is going to trade at the last where the market is trading. So. Again, just something to be aware of if you're doing your own orders. if you feel more comfortable, it might be wise to put in a specific price when you're looking to put in a buy or a sell order rather than market. Because market essentially means it's going to fill you at wherever the market is trading. So if there is sort of a quick move or anything like that in the market, you know, that could have unintended consequences on the price that you were wanting. If you looked at the stock last and it was trading at $10 and you put in a market order, but you know, something happens all of a sudden while you're in the time you're put it in um, and it drops a little bit and it goes down to nine let's say and and yeah you were looking to sell it for instance and you thought you were going to get 10 but then all of a sudden it dropped to nine so you would be filled at that nine dollars so if you kind of have a specific price in mind you'd want to enter in that rather than using a market order so just be careful on that um, you can put in day orders which means they will expire the day so if you have a specific price in mind you can always enter in an order at that price and put it as a day order and if it doesn't get filled because it doesn't hit that price it will just fall off at the end of a day. And you can also put in like a good till cancel order, which means, you know, you can set a certain date where you want it going out. So we can say, okay, I want it, you know, I want to buy the stock at $10 and I want this order to stay open until um, the end of April or something like that. And that's more, that's a good till cancel, not a date order. And then of course you can also enter stop losses um, on your stock investment holdings. Um, and that's just a matter of entering a an order that's below where it's currently traded by a certain percentage again something to just be careful of though when you're entering a stop loss um because when markets are sort of volatile and we have seen a lot of volatility recently that you could get sort of taken out on that and stopped out on that on that order so you know when markets are more volatile just be aware that that could happen for those orders Um, something else I wanted to mention, and I wasn't sure kind of where to put it in, so let's just talk about it now, um, is asset allocation. So when I talk about those three buckets, again, going back to cash and equivalents, fixed income, equities, asset allocation is really understanding how we want to allocate between those three buckets. And so it's sort of spreading across our investing and saying, you know, am I going to have some bonds and equity? And this is something we look at as financial professionals, um, especially based on people's ages and their timeframes and their goals uh, and and their risk tolerance as well. So, you know, there's varying degrees of risk and return. So obviously cash is that very low risk, but also low return bucket. And then bonds were moving a little bit up the risk spectrum for a potential higher return, and then equity moving up even further on the risk spectrum for an even higher potential return. Um, So, you know, asset allocation, some of the art, I guess, like investment literature out there, you know, cites asset allocation as one of the most important investment components. So not even about individual stock selection, but having your asset allocation correct. And, you know, it could be something like then when you're young, let's say you're in your 30s, um, or even in your 40s. I'm not, now I'm I'm sounding like I'm, I'm telling you what, what's young and what's not. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. Okay, let's just say scratch the when you're young part. When you're in your 30s and 40s, maybe asset allocation means, you know, you have a lower piece in your bond portion and a higher piece in your equity portion of your investments. But then as you age and get closer to retirement, and then once you hit retirement years and you're in those retirement years, again, you're you're maybe more so scaling back on the equity portion and increasing that lower risk portion. Because you have less of a time frame. you don't wanna see as much up and down in your portfolio. So that's what we mean by asset allocation. And a good example of sort of where you would likely see it is in something like um, a balanced fund or a balanced, so a balanced mutual fund or a balanced ETF, Balanced, meaning that it's going to have some bond component and some equity component to it. And balanced usually makes you, of course, think, you know, 50-50 because it's it's balanced, it's equal. Not necessarily the case, so balanced funds. They can also have a range of where they can go up to. So oftentimes you'll see them more like 60% equity, 40% bond, um, or even a, maybe a tiny bit higher on the equity side. Again, when they think equity has a little bit better return potentials or it's just better time to be invested in equity and then you know the the opposite is true of course as well they can go kind of the other way as well a little bit but balanced will mean there's going to be a component of bonds and equity within that investment um what are some of the types of risks when it comes to investing i think you know that's a big piece of investing is the risk Um, oftentimes people, you know, don't want to invest or are scared to invest because of risk. So let's break down what are some of the types of risk. Um, One would be the business risk. So that's just the company itself. It's if something were to happen with this company um, in their day-to-day operations, there could be a risk. So That could be just something as simply as a restaurant that's operating, and then a pandemic hits, and the restaurant has to close their doors. Um, You know, that was just a risk for the business, or, you know, airlines. Airlines are operating, doing their thing, having all their flights, and then Uh, pandemic hits and and you know flights are grounded and there's no flights going on they're laying off employees things like that so that's more of a business risk because it's company itself Um, not all businesses would be affected the same way um, as we saw during the pandemic or as you know we're still seeing some were affected a lot more than others some were affected in you know a positive sense too Um, another type of risk is default risk so default risk would be just the risk of a, a company, you know, defaulting on their their um, their loans and what they owe. So we talked about when a company wants to raise money, they can issue debt um, or they can issue more equity. And of course, if they're issuing debt, they have to pay that back. There's a time frame on when they have to pay that back. So if they're not able to pay it back at that time frame, that's the default risk. Um, Another risk could be foreign exchange or currency risk, and the risk of that is essentially if you're buying a stock in another country and another currency is involved, there is that risk. So if you're in Canada and you're buying a US stock, there is some foreign exchange risk to that because depending on where the currencies move um, in relation to each other, that can impact the the investment return. Um, there's inflation risk, so the risk of you know inflation going high up or inflation decreasing, um, and and what that impacts as far as the types of investments. Again, it's going to have a different impact on bond type of investments versus equity. Oftentimes, people say, you know, if inflation if there is higher inflation numbers potentially stocks would be a better investment in those type of environments Um, there's interest rate risk again we talked about that on the first part of this being bond investments and how there is a link between their performance and interest rates Um, so if interest rates go down or if interest rates go up that will impact that fixed income piece of your portfolio for sure Um, liquidity risk is just just the risk of a company. Um, it's its sort of the shares and like we were talking about that auction market. If the company doesn't have a lot of, you know, actively trading shares available um, or if it's just a smaller company and there's not as many tr- shares trading hands, then let's say you go to sell your stock and because it's an auction market, um, you're looking for a buyer. But if there's not a buyer on hand, you might have to keep bringing down the price of that stock until someone is willing to pay that price. So that's that liquidity risk. Um, political risk. I mean, I think we've all kind of seen what what that could be um, in the past few years and whatnot. So I don't, I won't comment on politics on this um, episode. Um, so you know, when we talk about risk, it, the important part of it is also when we're investing is understanding your risk tolerance. So, what is your tolerance for risk? It's an important question to ask yourself and really, you know, get some deeper understanding of for yourself. Asking yourself, you know, how would I feel if the value of my investment declines? How would I feel if I lost the value of my entire investment? And if you, you know, if that's a definite no I can't handle that, like I can't afford to have that happen either, then that's a reminder too of you're not gonna wanna be putting that money into something high risk because if you can't um, you know, handle losing the full amount, then of course you wanna make sure that your that risk is then in line in alignment with what you're invested in and also asking your, or knowing sort of what stage of life you're in as well. So if you're younger again maybe you have the ability to take on more risk if you're younger versus later in life when you're looking to retire you might not have the same ability to take on risk because you're not looking to add money on an ongoing basis. So what you have is what you have maybe and you're just looking to sort of preserve it and have it grow a little bit as well but not take a lot of risk in that. So when we talk about investing, a term that's also used for that sort of up and down movement of the market is volatility. And volatility is the investment term for when the stock market experiences periods of unpredictable and sometimes sharp rises and falls. So we often think of volatility on obviously the falling perspective of it, because we don't like that. No one, I don't think anyone likes to see it fall and lose money unless maybe you're shorting stocks, but that's, again, a whole nother conversation. Um, so, but the same can be true when it rises sharply, that's still volatility. And volatility is caused by a wide range of political and economic factors. Um, as we've seen through the pandemic, there was huge volatility late last year around the same time. Um, And something to keep in mind when it comes to volatility is when you see that sudden change in the market, that's when a lot of the emotions come out and you may feel tempted to rush into buying or selling during these big volatile moments. Um, Keep in mind, though, that acting too quickly can lead to behaviors such as buying high and selling low. So do kind of, you know, keep that in mind. There is a lot of emotions that come into play, especially during volatile times. Now since we're talking about risks and volatility, let I wanted to just give a few ways of how you can potentially make investing a little less scary or or not scary at all, maybe for some, maybe you didn't think it was scary to begin with, but if if you have, you know, felt a little bit concerned or scared to invest, well what are some ways then to make sure that you you don't you don't have those same fears. And again, it's it's focusing on what we can control ultimately because We know the markets, well, maybe we don't all know this, markets are not in our control. So we have no control on the markets and what they do. Again, it comes back to, well, what can I control then? Let's focus on what I can control because I cannot control if tomorrow the markets are going to go up and down, unfortunately, but I can control my behaviors. So some of the things you can control and keep in mind to make investing less scary is, making sure that you're paying off your bad debt first. So if you are carrying a balance on your credit card, and again, we talked about this in part one and that idea of compound interest working against you. So if you're carrying a balance on your credit card and then you're also investing, well, it's going to be scary because you're trying to essentially outpace the um, the interest on your credit card to justify investing instead of just paying down your credit card with that money instead. So that would mean that if you have a credit card, usually they're 18% plus interest rates. So that means your investments have to do better than 18% plus. You know, that does get a little bit scary and there is a lot of pressure because Yes, sometimes it's very, you know, realistic to earn those types of returns in the market, but also oftentimes it is not realistic. And those types of returns over long-term time frames, I would say are not realistic either to think that you can earn, you know, 18% plus in the markets. You're going to have to be invested quite high risk, and that is going to make investing scary. So making sure that you're paying off your bad debt first, Um, asking yourself your intention when you're going into investing, are you gambling or are you investing? That's an important one to ask. And I think it's really come, you know, to mind with everything that's gone on in the markets recently and the Reddit forums and, um, basically what sort of you know people talking about a stock can do and and that volatility that some of those stocks were moving just in a day they were moving up over a hundred percent plus in one day which is you know very volatile um but so ask yourself the question again are you gambling or investing because you're if you're investing you're not probably buying into those stocks um based on what was going on recently i would I would probably argue that that's not investing because investing is more about doing your research and understanding you know long-term implications and things like that of the company you're investing in versus if you're just looking to make a, a quick buck and you know buy in and get out that's probably more so on the gambling end and again I'm not saying it's right or wrong but knowing your intention because you know and and you know making sure that though as we talk about with if it is gambling have that limit for yourself and be willing like to ask yourself am I okay with losing this entire amount and really ask yourself that question and if you say if your answer is no then you're probably not wanting to do that sort of investing. If your answer is yeah I'm willing to lose this you know entire maybe, or like, I'm willing to lose this entire 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. But, you know, don't do that with necessarily, like, don't do that with your long-term investments and your retirement savings and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, throw in my entire retirement savings and, and maybe it'll pay off and I'll triple it. But obviously on the other side of that, maybe it won't work at all and the stock goes to zero or close to it and you've essentially lost your entire you know, long-term investment. So that's not, you know, not what you want to happen, obviously. So ask yourself, are you gambling investing or investing? And if you are, obviously if it's the if your answer is gambling, then be very specific and be very real with yourself on answering that question. Am I okay if I lose everything? Okay. Have an emergency fund in place so, again, we can make investing less scary by making sure that we, you know, we have these other pieces in place so we know that our investments um, are able to stay invested. Um, and again, you know, whether that volatility, because there is sometimes times where markets are moving, you know, high or going down quickly, and the pandemic really showed us that in you know, in action and happening. So if we have an emergency fund, you know, at least we know if something goes wrong. Well, I have this emergency fund I can pull from. I don't need to tap into my investments, um, you know, at, at that exact moment to access those funds. I have this money here. I can so I know now that my investments are there. They can stay there, and I can kind of you know not worry about the ups and the downs necessarily. I could wait it out. I wouldn't need access to that money right away. Um, Average in, that's another idea to make it less scary. And what that means is just adding money on an ongoing basis, which I highly suggest anyone does, especially if you're in the um, stage of accumulation and um, growing your net worth and adding money on an ongoing basis have it being added into the markets maybe you get paid twice a month and you're investing into your retirement savings twice a month and you know on those days it's just going into the markets sometimes the markets might be up sometimes they might be down but you're averaging in all along the way so you're kind of buying the ups and the downs and it really is going to help smooth out some of that volatility um, make sure you're diversifying so again don't put all your eggs in one basket Make sure you have you know, different types of investments, different types of sectors, um, having some exposure to those three different buckets of cash and equivalents, fixed income and stocks. So having that diversification element is going to make it less scary because then you won't you know, look at your account and be shocked, um, which can very much happen if you just have one or two stocks in your portfolio. And know your time horizon. So again, get very specific with when do I need this money? If I need it in the short term, I do have to make sure that I'm investing accordingly. And if it's I have a longer term time horizon, then I can probably take, be taking on more risk. So I want to talk a little bit about financial planning because uh, financial planning is an important piece of the entire holistic approach. You know, gone are the days where financial advisors were just calling, you know, gone are the days where financial advisors were calling up clients and they were just making stock investments. So they were just calling you and saying, buy this stock, sell this stock, and there wasn't a lot of... thought about you and your unique individual situation put into that. So it is important that we're investing according to your goals. And that's what financial planning is really going to help do. So each person has very different goals. And I always talk about this in that embracing your money uniqueness, because I've met with people and talked to them about their finances for years now and I can tell you that there's no two people that have ever been an exact replica of each other. So we're all so different and knowing that we can't just decide that you know we can just say everyone should be invested in this or everyone should be invested for that because it it might be good for some people but not good for others. So some of the questions that you want to answer when you're creating a financial plan. So I would highly suggest you to take some time and just answer these questions. Um, what are you saving for? So get clear on your goals. So many people don't get specific about what their goals are and what they want to achieve. So that's such an important piece that you do spend the time and really write it down. Talk about it with your partner if you're in a relationship. Um if you're single, then spend the time writing it down on your own to decide. You know what is it that I want? When do I want to retire? Um, do I want to, um, uh, you know, have a vacation property, or do I want to make sure I'm able to travel um, a certain amount of times per year? Just make sure that you are getting really specific. Um, how much money will you need? So that's a hard question to answer, I would say, but. It's a really important question if we're planning for retirement years. So if you're looking at understanding how much will I need and reti- how much will I need to retire, well, an important part of that question is how much money are you going to spend on a yearly basis or on a monthly basis, and break that down, because you can only plan that number based on what it is that you want to spend. Because it it has to be more, you know, you driving the bus, you saying, okay, this is how much I want on a monthly basis. Now, how do I make that possible versus someone just saying, okay, if you want to retire, you need a million dollars or $2 million. Well, what does that mean? How much money would I have? So the more important question is how much money will you want to spend per month or per year? And then we calculate that for you. Um, I read a good article or um, it might've been in a financial, personal finance book. But it talked about how if you are planning for your financial freedom or retirement numbers and you're saying, well, I don't know how much I'm going to spend, a good number is they they talked about being between 70 to 100% of what you spend right now. And I think that's very realistic because what I've seen is, you know, we're creatures of habit when it comes to our money and oftentimes what we spend is going to be pretty consistent throughout our lives. Um, Yes, it's going to be different in those years where you have young kids um, and kids living at home. But a lot of people think that, oh, you know, I spend this much now, but I won't even spend close to that much in retirement. I'll spend, you know, half or less than that. And, you know, I'd argue that do you want do you want a comfortable retirement or do you want to just get by? Because, you know, there's just getting by on the minimum, but is that the kind of retirement you want? Like do you want to just quit work and then be, you know, pin- pinching pennies from that point on? I don't know if that's the case. So I think part of retirement is being able to have that flexibility and freedom and be able to enjoy that time. So I do like that idea of targeting 70 to 100% of what you spend now. And again, to then know that amount, you're going to have to take some time and do a budget to see what you are spending now. Okay, another question to ask is when will you need it? So your time horizon—that's a very important piece of the equ- equation as well. And you're going to probably have multiple goals too throughout that time. So maybe if it's saving for your kids' post-secondary education, well, you're going to need it when they hit 18 years old. Um, when it's saving for your financial freedom, maybe it's just kind of seeing a few scenarios and saying, okay, what would it look like if I'm, you know, retiring at the age of 60 or 58 uh, and Again, so that's the time horizon question. Um, and some people are very specific, to on when they want to stop working, and some people want to continue working a lot longer. But again, we can always look at it, too, as uh, financial freedom. So knowing that, yes, absolutely, you can continue working, but working just because you enjoy and love it, not for the sake of that I need this income coming in um, to survive. Uh, What is your risk tolerance? So we talked about that, but that's an important part that's going to come into play here. And, you know, is there an education piece needed? So if if you're saying your risk tolerance is really low, for instance, but you're a young person and your time horizon is 20 or 30 years plus, well, if your risk tolerance is low, but you still have that really long time horizon then taking the steps that you need to feel a little bit more comfortable to kind of move you up that spectrum of being willing to take on some more risk potentially. Because if you're a young person with a long time horizon, you will be missing out on a lot if you stay ultra conservative with your portfolio. There's a lot of compounding growth to be had there. And if you're letting that low risk tolerance sort of dictate that, um, then I would suggest, you know, is there something that you could do to help you feel a little bit more comfortable with risk? And it's probably worth it to take those steps to do so. Um, I always like to remind people that a financial plan is a living document. So life changes and what goes into your plan, some of the factors are also unknown. So it is important to always be checking in to see if you're still on track. So it's a living document. It's not something that you do once and then forget about completely because things happen, things change. Um, and including in the planning, which is oftentimes, you know, why you can't do these calculations on your own, or it's not easy to necessarily do do your on your own is you know you're putting in things like inflation and usually we're using around two percent or just over two percent for inflation numbers as well because that's important to consider because if you say you spend five thousand dollars today well five or a month not like a day or you're like well five thousand dollars i should give it some yeah perspective on that let's say you say let's say you spend five thousand dollars a month um now And you're wanting to see, okay, what would I need to do to get sort of the equivalent? Well, it's not going to be $5,000 a month in 30 years from now because inflation has eroded away that purchasing power. So, you know, looking at inflation to make sure that we're seeing, well, what is that number in 20, 30 years time? Um, We also include life expectancy. Again, very much an unknown factor, but if you have longevity in your family and things like that, you can always factor in a larger number to that. Some of the biggest impacts that you're gonna see for financial planning or what has the biggest impact is the time. So it is a big difference if you're saying I want to retire at 55 versus I want to retire at 60. You are going to have to do a lot more savings um, earlier, starting earlier on. Um, or you know it is it does make a difference. So those time the time horizon because again it's that compounding growth. You're taking away some of the years of that compounding growth by creating the number earlier because you're not adding money in over those years, right? So that has a big impact. Rate of return has a big impact. That's why I say if your risk tolerance is really low, but you have a long time horizon, take some time to do what you can to start to educate yourself so you can feel a little bit more comfortable because a rate of return of 3% over 20 years versus 5% over 20 years is huge. doesn't sound like a lot when I'm telling you that the difference is only 2%, but over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of compounding makes a massive difference. Um, And then another one is your income requirements, of course. So that's going to have a big impact on your financial plan, how much money you want in retirement or financial freedom. What a plan is really great for what it can do is it can answer some of the questions of, you know, will I be okay? How much do I need to retire? When should I take my government payments? So that's in the form of CPP, Canada Pension Plan, or if you're in the U.S., that's Social Security. When should I draw from my retirement savings plans? So, you know, should I start drawing from them first or should I start drawing from my tax efficient or my tax sheltered accounts and then draw from the retirement savings later on? Again, the planning is going to help see all that and and plan for it in a tax efficient way. Um, And again, it's still important to run these numbers even during retirement years because checking in on the plan is going to help you confirm you know am I on track still or is there risk to me outliving my assets because that would be you know something that you definitely don't want to see happening so you want to be checking in on that um so what did I want to talk about next um some of the so we're kind of going, moving away from the planning stuff. I wanted to quickly just touch base or touch on, um, some of the red flags of an investment fraud. These things are still happening. And so that's why I want to just quickly talk about it. I do still encounter people that share stories of investment fraud that has happened to them or someone they know, which is essentially them investing in something or, you know, investing with someone and, um, their money, completely going to zero or something like that. So yes, unfortunately, these things can still happen. So some of the red flags to see is when you see things like guaranteed high returns and no risk, okay? Because we we went, as we go back to the conversation where we talked about cash equivalents, fixed income, stocks, and how those different buckets each have different risk levels. Well, if someone's guaranteeing you high returns with no risk, That can't really be possible, especially right now, because also what we talked about is when interest rates are really low, we can't really get very good returns on our cash. So there's no such thing as a guarantee high return with no risk, unfortunately. Again, if that was true, we'd all be there and have that, and we'd all be rich, and we probably, you don't even need to listen to this then. (laughs) So. That's not necessarily, when you see that, again, that's the red flag, right? That's probably too good to be true. Um, Idea of insider tips. Um again, some of of the conversations that go on in forums and things like that, just keep in mind when people are giving recommendations, you know, whose interests are behind that. If they're invested in this stock and then they're putting it out on forums that they're telling you to invest and it's the greatest investment ever, well, obviously they want you to invest because we said the markets are an auction market, supply and demand. If you buy in and everyone else you know and they know buys into it, it's going to push up the stock price and that's great for them. So Again, understanding, you know, who's giving you these tips, whose interests are served by it. Keep that in mind. Um, yeah, those are some of the, the things, the red flags that I would just urge you to keep in mind. Um, some of the investing mistakes um, that you'd want to avoid. So kind of to sum up some of this investing and, and where sort of some of the mistakes come into play. So having a short-term outlook... That's something you want to avoid. So again, when it comes to investing, usually we want to have that longer term time horizon because that gives us the ability to weather the ups and downs and that volatility. If you have a short term outlook, you don't want to be invested in that higher risk type of holdings because... If you need that money soon, there is the chances that a big market event could happen and then essentially wipe out the returns or wipe out the initial value that you invested, some or all of it. Um, also, you know, over or under diversification. So again, we have to be diversified and under diversification, diversification would mean that you're not diversified enough. So again, you're maybe only having a couple holdings um, and not in different sectors and things like that. But there's also over diversification. So if you're investing just in absolutely everything out there, it might be a little bit too diversified. And you know what you might find then is the return numbers don't reflect the greatest numbers because if you're just invested in everything that exists, um, you know, it's, it's not going to necessarily give you as much exposure to some of those um, opportunities and things like that. So it's, it's not something we often think about, but you can technically be over diversified too. But I would say the, you know, the bigger one would be that under diversification um, following hot stock tips. So again, there, there's there been this sudden interest in, in giving stock tips and chatting about stock advice and things like that on online forums. Um, I mean, I it's great in the sense of it's getting more people interested in investing, which I love. But, you know, unfortunate in the sense of some people just think that they take it for as is and that it's accurate, 100% information. And again, we have to respect and appreciate that it's not. And we have to know that you know whose interests or who's behind this information that they're putting out there um another one not having realistic expectations so that's a big one too i see is that let's say someone says i don't want to take a lot of risk but i want 20 percent returns again that's not a realistic expectation it's not really something that would be possible to achieve you're going to have to take on risk for that um getting out of the when the markets are down another one that's a big one so again this time last year the markets had hit pretty much their bottom so it was March 23rd of last year and if you were to have you know sold out of everything at that time and stayed on the sidelines the markets quickly moved in an upward direction after that point point. and so you potentially missed out on a lot of those returns and you lost a lot of value potentially on your investments if you sold right at the bottom um, and then lastly, that not understanding or ignoring risk. Again, we have to acknowledge the risk and that we do move up the risk spectrum when we look at equities. But again, it doesn't have to be scary. There's still ways to invest where it doesn't mean that investing in stocks is ultra high risk or anything like that, right? If we're diversified, if we're buying, you know, well um, established company we're starting to take out some of that risk. So when it comes to investing how will you invest? There's the do-it-yourself option and then there is also working with a professional. So let's just break down those two. Do-it-yourself would be that you put together and manage it by yourself. There's many online tools, online blogs, articles and programs to use for that direct investing platforms. Um, Usually they would have the benefit of lower fees But make sure you have the passion, the resources, and time to do it. Okay, and then on the other side of that, it would be working with a financial professional. So financial professional, think of them as your financial coach or partner. Again, if you don't have the time or desire to do it yourself, by all means, enlist the help of a professional. You're not expected to do all these things on your own. Um, I work with a life coach. I work with a writing coach. Because again, that's not my area of expertise. We are not, I mean, maybe some people are, I was going to say, we're not like blessed to have all the talents in the world. I'm sure there are some people, absolutely, actually. But I would say the majority of us, we kind of have our, you know, strengths and maybe our, or not so much strengths. I don't want to say weaknesses. I want to stay positive. So things that we, you know, we're not as great at, but that is why people exist in these professions to help you and to support you if it's not you know, your strong suit, it's not something you have time or desire to. A financial professional can help you navigate also the psychological traps and the emotional pull of investing. So they will offer that, you know, more so sort of rational third-party perspective when things get really uncomfortable in, in the markets and investing, which can happen um that holistic approach they're going to take so oftentimes they're going to have the planning element as well the tax considerations so there's a lot more than just the investment advice piece there's also other services included in what a financial professional can help you with um so if you're considering working with a professional or want to make the switch take some time to really get clear on your expectations so first you know write those down Take some time to dig a little bit deeper on, well, what is it that I want? What is it that I would need if I were to work with a professional or if I were to change professionals that I'm working with? Because finding the right fit is so important um, that you do want to take some time to get clear on what do I want versus just going and, and finding a person. It is about you because it's your money, right? I say that too, it's your money and no one's gonna love it as much as you do. So take that time to do some of your homework and decide what is it that I want? And then come prepared with questions. So interview professionals and interviewing means that you can interview multiple professionals and ask the questions and have your questions ready, just like an interview. So what are some of the questions? I'll give you a few that you can ask. Again, though, these can be your own that you come up with, all questions are good questions. So make sure too that you're asking all your questions. Um, But asking things like, are you taking on new clients? Do you have um, asset level minimums? What's your education background? Do you provide financial planning as part of your services or is it an extra cost? What is the process of bringing on new clients? Um, what is the service level? So what can you expect as far as meetings, calls? And of course, the very important one, asking what their cost or fee is. That is one that you absolutely can ask and you will want to ask. So wrapping it up. Now what? What would I suggest you do now going away? Well, listen again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um get something like a stock price track tracker app. So watch the stock markets, um, look up stock quotes, have a, a an app that you follow along with some of your stock prices. It's it's going to help you just kind of see what things are, what they're doing on a day to day basis, or even I mean, you don't have to check it day to day if you don't want to. But it, it's just going to give you a feel for the stock markets and investing. Um, and try doing a mock portfolio too. That's an idea. So as simple as just creating an Excel spreadsheet. So a mock portfolio is like making a fake stock portfolio. Um, so it's not real money. You're just kind of seeing what it would look like if you were to invest in certain stocks that you've been eyeing or um, that you've heard about or wanted to invest in. If you know, if you're still kind of want a little bit worried or not ready to yet, try just creating this fake portfolio. Again, you can. Create it on an Excel spreadsheet, you could just put the, the stock symbol, where the price was at when you would have bought it, how many you would have bought and things like that and then just kind of see how it's doing from that point on. Again, it's just, it's practice, it's getting you comfortable without using real money. Take time to plan out your goals. So again, sit down and really get clear on what are your goals instead of like life happening to you. And it's like, okay, when can I retire? What can I do in retirement? How much will I have? Well, what if you, you know, change that around and say, you know, when do I want to retire? How much money do I want to retire, have in retirement? What do I want to do? So again, it's it's you taking that the role of being empowered. And this is about you and what you want. So plan for that. Get specific. Um, know your budget and net worth. Those two pieces are so important. I think I talk about them in my first episode on the keys to money confidence. That might not be the first one, but it's the keys to money confidence episode. Um, do-it-yourself investing versus working professional. So get clear on, on how you're going to go about that. Um, I did an episode as well on the TFSA versus RSP. We didn't touch on it in these um part one or part two, but do take a listen to that because that's also helpful and a good compliment to this Investing 101 um, episode as well. So that's all I have for you today. I have gone long again. I didn't intend to go this long, but thank you so much for tuning in as always, and I will catch you next week. All right, bye. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much, and I will catch you next time.